Uh, how's everybody doing? Isn't it nice to not be like in a hundred degrees right now? Like this feels like a, a cool breeze. Ninety some degrees is like, oh man, this is so refreshing. Uh, I, I, I was like, I, I will take rain every day over hot summer sun. Every day. Every day. Man, I can't wait for that rain. Can't wait for that rain and that cool breeze. Um, hey, if you have Bibles with you, go ahead and turn them to Mark chapter 10. That is where we will be today. Um, I am so excited. I'm always excited to be here. I uh, feel like this is like home away from home church uh, for us. And so uh, I, feel like, I feel like home when I'm here. And so I'm excited every time I get the chance to be here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just get started because I have a lot that I want to share with you. Uh, these are some of the things that um, that God has been working in my heart with in the last, uh, really the last couple months, last few months. And um, I uh, and I just have like so much stirring in my head that I want to make sure that I pray and then we will we'll jump into this. So uh, let me pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for um, this place. Uh, thank you for 25 years. Um, man, that is a marker uh, that we can always go back and look and see. You have brought us this far. Um, and 25 years is a long stint of faithfulness. Um, and we just praise you for it and we thank you for it. Um, you deserve every bit of uh, worship for that. You deserve every bit of honor for that. Um, and you are so good. You are so good to this place and to this, to this house, to this family, and to this, to this church. We just thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for um, your faithfulness through the hard time that. Uh, 25 years comes with really great times, I'm sure, and really uh, difficult times, I'm sure. And you have been faithful in both and in all. And so we praise you for who you are. Uh, This morning, God, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts um, wherever you want and whatever you wish for us to take from today to be closer to you. Just speak to our hearts. Let us hear you. Let us see you, uh, and we will give you praise, and we will give you honor forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Mike Iaconelli said that desperate is a strong word, but that's why I like it. The pursuit of God, that um, having known that God has pursued us, uh, if we look through all of Scripture and as it turns out through all of life, we can see that God has constantly pursued us and has called out your name. Um, and then in turn, we, we want to pursue him. We want to call out on his name as much as we possibly can. Uh, but that pursuit of God is not for people who think that faith is just this agreeable interference with the norm of the rest of life. It's not for it's not to just be like a nice alternative to the darker things of life. But the pursuit of God has to be 
this place where our actual, our actual desperation meets Jesus head to head. And you see it all the time, especially through the Gospels. You see it over and over again. Desperate people come into contact with Jesus while good religious people ignore them and, respect and disrespect them in their hunger. And some things have never changed. Desperate people don't do well in our churches today. Desperate people don't do well in our American churches today. They simply don't fit in. And their starvation for more of Jesus, their desperation doesn't accommodate most of our standards in a lot of Christian churches. Normal church people will label desperate people as maybe like eccentric or a little off. But when spiritually desperate people get even a taste of Jesus in the water, they can't stay away from him. And it doesn't matter what other people think. And it doesn't matter what other people say about them because they are desperate for more of it. And one of my favorite stories of Jesus is the healing of the blind man Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. So I want to read that story and then we'll come back and look at the desperation of Bartimaeus. Uh, starting in verse 46 in chapter 10 of Mark. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 48, the normal church people came around. And many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet, be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. There are a few things that grab my heart about this story and have always grabbed my heart about this story. Two name, namely, two things I want to talk about today. One is a strong stubbornness. And number two, a cloak that was thrown aside. Once Bartimaeus knows that Jesus is even present because he hears the voice of Jesus, he knows who Jesus is. Word has got around who this Jesus person is. And once he knows that Jesus is here and Jesus is present, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And immediately he is rebuked for interrupting. He's told to be quiet, quit being so rude. And then one of my favorite verses but he shouted out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that is what strikes the ear and heart of Jesus because he calls Bartimaeus to him to be healed. And at that point, Mark writes, Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside and he jumped up to his feet and came running to Jesus to be healed. Desperate people are stubborn people. I've always loved the rudeness that often attends a person who is desperately in need of care and desperately in need of healing. A beggar is not always as polite as those who have everything. 
would like them to be. In my work with the poor and those in crisis, I've done that for a long time. If I haven't worked with college students, I've been working with the poor and people in crisis, and most of the time that's the same. But I, uh, in my time working with the poor particularly and those who are in crisis, the people I have sat with most days are not always very pleasant. Uh, they're not even particularly polite. And when I'm tempted to be frustrated, because uh, I'm often tempted to be very frustrated with their lack of tact when I sit with them, I'm trying to offer them help, and they're not being polite with me. I'm tempted to be very frustrated. There are all those times when I am tempted to be frustrated, though, that I have to wonder, how would I be? How would I be if everything was ripped out from under me? If my family had kicked me out into the street because they simply did not want me around any longer. And we know that that's the case with Bartimaeus because we mention his family, Timaeus, in this story. And the people that I've sat with in my office in those different places have often had that same story. My family kicked me out because they couldn't deal with my mental disorder. They couldn't deal with... um, with everything that I had going on in my life, so they just kicked me out because they just didn't want to deal with it anymore. What would I do if I was in that circumstance where every corner I tried to turn was another no that sent me further into a spiral that I can't just walk out of? And I have to imagine a day-to-day survival living would cause me to be a little rude when some sort of hope, when some sort of help was like just on the forefront, when it was like I could, I could catch a glimpse of the help that is actually maybe possible out of my day-to-day survival living, I imagine my refusal to give up might appear rude to those who don't have to survive each day. Imagine, I imagine my desperation might be off-putting to those who aren't as desperate as me. People who are desperate very seldom care one bit about the mess they make on their way to help. And when someone came through our doors wanting a place to stay at the ministry I was on staff at, um, we had one requirement most people were unable to fulfill. But to be clear, we, weren't a, we, we were not a, a shelter and we weren't a mission. Um, and we were a facility that had a fully devoted program, fully developed program that was a two-year program for transformation. And so our requirement was that if you came to us, that you would be desperate enough to want help, desperate enough to do the work. And so if someone wanted just a place to stay for the night or a place to live outside of the elements, but could not communicate an actual desperation for what is the actual healing that we could provide in that transformation, then there were a lot of people that I looked in the face and said, actually, you might need to sleep outside tonight. You might need to sleep another night in the bushes because you are not desperate enough for what is ahead of you. Those of us who are desperate, for more of Jesus, to be closer to Jesus than, we've been, than we were yesterday, for those of us who are so desperate to be closer to Jesus through whatever we go through, we'll stop at nothing to come after him. 
If you're truly desperate enough, you will do everything that is possible to get closer to him, to be so desperate for an entanglement with Jesus that we want nothing else. That's the kind of desperation that we have to come to Jesus with, to say nothing else matters. I have to be close to you, and it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks about me. And like Bartimaeus, we will give up at nothing, even if I come off a little rude to others who have it all together. And we're prepared to be frantic. I'm prepared to be frantic. I'm prepared to be as reckless as I need to be to get closer to the Jesus that I am pursuing. Because I prefer honest mess over fake beauty any day of the week. Any day of the week. Desperate people are stubborn people. Then there's this cloak. This cloak that he throws off. For a blind man in the first century Palestine, the cloak is a sense of security. Because like we said, uh, he has been thrown out because blind men were thought to be cursed in this, pl- in this part of time. And so if you were cursed, then your family had no trouble throwing you out. Because you're cursed. I don't want your curse on our family. I don't want your curse, your curse in our household. So if you were cursed because you were blind, then your family had no trouble throwing you out into the street. This man was kicked out unto the elements with only a cloak, only a heavy blanket to protect him. So when he drops his cloak, he drops all sense of security that he has to go to Jesus. Where do I place my security? What helps you feel like you have even a little bit of control? Am I willing to be stubbornly persistent to lay aside my security, whatever I have even a little bit of control over? Am I willing to lay that aside to go running after Jesus because I'm so desperate enough that I will leave even my sense of security behind to come closer to Jesus? for the healing, for the relationship, for the pursuit, for the entanglement with his heart that I really need? What sense of security do I have that I'm willing to lay aside? And then if I'm going to lay aside my security, everything I depend on, everything I actually have control over in myself to go after Jesus, I better be really clear about the object of my desperation. Jesus made clear that it is not just the word that is important, but him Jesus is important. Jesus, his presence, is our greatest good. In Psalm Psalm 73, it says, uh, closeness to you, nearness to you is my greatest good. And if I really believe that, if I believe that the most important thing is that I stay close to Jesus, that I love him with everything that I have, then I am desperate enough to go after it. His presence in my life is my greatest good, and we have to be desperate for that. (coughs) Excuse me. There's a... There's a difficult point to reach to want to be desperate enough to be close to Jesus because I have to be desperate for his presence, for him to be near to me. And that's a hard thing in our technological age. People can speak over the Internet and over our various routes of social media with anybody across the world without actually being present with another person. And that's how we've come to learn how to relate in most cases. I can be talking to anybody. Thank you so much. I can talk to anyone without ever actually having to be close and present with anyone. And that makes our desperation really hard to hit. 
I have to be desperate enough to be close. I have to be desperate enough for the presence of Jesus to be so near to him that nothing else is between us, to be near to him in our relationship, and I have to be present and show up in that place to be desperate enough for it. There's a song that came out a couple, I think a couple months ago, by Hillsong United that is, I'm just obsessed with it right now, called Another in the Fire. Um, and the, the first line of it says, there's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. How do you call on his name? How do you maintain a desperation that allows you to call on his name, keep pursuing him even when the bottom falls out? What is the desperation? How do I have such a desperation that it keeps me pursuing him even through my shattered dreams and my broken circumstances? Because that's a vital question for us. That's a vital question, especially if you're not in that space right now where everything is broken, where everything has been ripped out from under you, especially if you're not in that place right now. That's a vital question to answer. Because you have to have an answer so that you know what you will do before you even get to that moment. How will I keep moving? Will I be able to keep moving when the bottom falls out closer to Jesus? One of the most agonizing problems that we face in life is that very few of us live to see our biggest dreams fulfilled. At best, our, uh, our childhood dreams, our childhood things that we, that, that we pursue, that we want to go after, can become at least an unfinished masterpiece. And that's best case scenario for some of us. By the time we complete adulthood, we're wondering what happened to those dreams. And it's not always the case, but it is a possibility that that turns out to be the case for a lot of us. Is there any person who has not encountered the anguish of a dashed hope or a crushed dream at some point or another? We know that feeling. We know what that's like. Paul had a dream that he wrote about several times, especially in his letter to the Romans, he had a dream to, go, to come to Spain. He had, a, he had a dream that he would eventually go to Spain at that point, which was the furthest reaches of the known world. And he was determined that I would complete my commission to let literally everyone know the gospel. My dream is that I would make it to Spain, to the edge of the known world, so that I could let literally everyone know the gospel. That is my commission. That is my dream. That is something I am supposed to do, and I cannot wait to do it. And as you read through Romans, you get even closer to, like, Romans 15. You start getting in those later those later uh, chapters of Romans, and in that letter he starts to show, like, he, he has this anticipation that keeps growing with every day, that I keep growing in this anticipation that I'm going to pursue this dream, that I will actually go and fulfill this dream of going to the end of the, end the world to be able to tell the gospel to everybody. What an incredible dream in the heart of Paul. A dream that will never be fulfilled. He ends his life in prison, never having been able to get a glimpse of Spain. It's a heartbreaking story of a crushed dream. It was a good dream. It was a good dream. I'm fulfilling the commission that has been placed on my life in this dream. It's something I'm called to. I'm promised this practically. Life has a way of bringing up similar circumstances and experiences for us. What inspirational and great life goals 
have you had and pursued and eventually have to settle for something far less than what that dream was? We each have a narrative that we play in our mind that involves a pursuit of something that is such a strong call in our life that it feels promised to us. That dream is so big and it's so strong and it, and it beats so strongly within me that it's, it's, it's practically promised to me, but it ends up just outside of our grasp. That's a hard space. After leaving a pastoral position in 2015, I began a year and a half as a stay-at-home dad. And while I would never trade that time that I have with my girls because I know it's time I'll never get back, I also realized I'm not especially wired for that. Uh, That stay-at-home dad life is not especially wired within me. But I spent a year and a half refining and sending out my resume all over the country for associate pastor positions. And I would engage the entire process with a church and the, as they're searching for a pastor, would go through, and I would always end up in, like, the top two candidates every single time. And the nature of church pastor searches, if you don't know, because you've had the same one for 25 years, uh, <laughs> is very long, uh, very long, very drawn out. Um, and that search is how I played out for a year and a half. And when you realize that you are a top candidate in a long and drawn-out process, you start to put all of the eggs into that one basket instead of spreading them out because you want them to know that you're all in and that I actually really am am starting to enjoy this church. I really like this church. I really like what's going on there, and I think I could really contribute there. And I start to put all of those eggs into that basket for that church, and I would get to get down to being one of their top two candidates, and then they would move on with the other person. Or I would be the, the guy they wanted in some of those cases, but like some small ordination issue would pop up in their bylaw somewhere, and then they something would happen. And that each time that that happened, I had to start all over again at square one. And that went on for a year and a half. And during that time, we had begun attending what is now our home church. And it seemed like every week, it seemed like every week during that time, it was on the heart of somebody on staff to pray for jobs. And so every week, I would stand up with all the other job seekers in our church, and we would pray. And one Sunday, I refused the invitation, and I stayed seated. And on the drive home, Tanya asked, why didn't you stand up? Like You are still looking for a job, right? (laughs) Uh, And I told her I'm tired of standing. I'd grown tired of praying for a dream that just wasn't working. It wasn't coming through, and it was a good dream. I was called to do that, and I was pursuing it, and it just wasn't working. And it wasn't that I didn't trust God. It was that I didn't trust my own prayer anymore. My hopes and my dreams were being crushed every time I stood up on a Sunday morning, and I was tired of standing up. What are you supposed to do? in those spaces. What are you supposed to do when it gets to that point? 
One possibility in those spaces and in those times, one possibility is that you could sink all of that into your heart with a bitterness and a resentment for what's happening. You could settle all of your heart into bitterness and resentment. The trouble, though, with bitterness and the trouble with resentment is that it develops a callus. It develops a callus over your heart and over your attitude and over your relationship with God and other people. And you begin to direct all of those toxic parts of your resentment, those toxic parts of your bitterness, onto other people. And it takes over your entire character at that point. And you become a mean person because you don't trust anyone. And you can't love anyone except nothing from anyone ever again because I've become so calloused in my resentment and my bitterness. You could choose that. That's one option. Another option is that you could actually completely withdraw from everyone else. You could completely withdraw into yourself and cut everyone else out. No one is allowed to enter into my life right now. I've lost all enthusiasm because I keep pursuing the dream that's never working and it's never happening, and I've lost all enthusiasm for life, and you become indifferent to anything and anyone. I am so unconcerned to care about anything anymore. And you grow numb. And the thing about being numb to one situation is that it is never just one situation. It's like Novocaine for this tooth numbs my entire mouth just to do the work on the one tooth. So that now when you grow numb to this one circumstance because you've cut yourself off from everyone else, you've gone into yourself so far that you grow numb, you grow numb to everything. And now it's hard for me to feel anything. It's hard for me to feel passion. It's hard for me to feel joy. It's hard for me to feel the sorrow. And it's hard for me to feel anything. You're not dead. You just also aren't alive. And you're simply trying to escape. And when you try to escape reality, your personality is diluted to nothing. So you have that option too. You have the option of withdrawing. You have the option of resentment. You have the option of bitterness. A third option is a, a fatalism. I could choose perhaps all of this is just the way it's supposed to be. Bad things happen, and that's just the way life is. And when you choose that option, you actually believe that you have no space to be delivered anymore. I can't be delivered because this is the way it's going to be. This is just the way it is. Bad things happen, and right now bad things happen to me. And that's just the way it is. You can just sit and wait for all of the outside forces to decide for you what everything is going to look like. You can allow your circumstances to define everything from now on out. I don't even have to be deliberate. I can't be deliberate because bad things happen and this is just the way it is. And that is not a particularly non-Christian perspective. Christian fatalists have a way of thinking, well, God is the determiner and he is the controller, which he is. But he's the determiner and he is the controller and I, my freedom is a complete myth. I have no deliberation in this. I have no way of actually moving forward. I'm just going to sit here and see what happens. And to sink down into the 
the quicksands of fatalism is both intellectually and psychologically stifling because freedom is a part of the essence of who we are. We were created to be able to move forward. We were given this ability to say, I can choose to pursue Jesus. I can choose to pursue life. I can choose to pursue hope. Even if I don't see hope right this second, I can pursue hope. We have that freedom, but the fatalist, by denying freedom, becomes just a puppet waiting to see what happens. And each of these options, both of the first two lead to an eventual fatalism. They Both of the first two lead to the third, if you allow them to. But there is freedom. That's the good news. No matter where you are, like even if right now you are without a bottom to stand on, even if right now you are in that spot of like, I have pursued this dream and I'm tired of pursuing this dream, I'm tired of standing up, even if you are there, there is still freedom for you. Even in the dreams that we see dashed, there is freedom in the act of reflecting on that and deciding and responding within your truest self, within who God has created you to be. But it's easy in those moments to forget that God never stopped calling your name. Even when the bottom fell out for all the dreams you thought were the way they should be, God never stopped calling after you. He never stopped coming after you. He has never stopped calling your name, even when your dreams were not fulfilled the way you thought they should be. Even when your hopelessness comes off as rude, are you willing to keep going after it? Can you find within your core the ability to accept circumstances while clinging with white knuckles to the hope of a better future? Can you, even in the most broken, dashed circumstances, hold on with white knuckles to the hope of what God has ahead of you? Because it's okay to confront your crushed dream. I'm I'm not saying pretend like your dream wasn't crushed. It's okay to confront that crushed dream. And Jeremiah even said, this is a grief and I must hear it. There is there is relief in that. You are allowed to muster the courage to face the crushed dream head on and then still ask yourself, how can I convert this circumstance and how is God going to take this circumstance and make it redemptive? How is he going to restore to me life after everything has fallen apart? How can I continue to call on his name when my circumstances are not what I expected them to be? Because the most fruitful choice, the most life-giving choice, is to stand with a courageous resolve, move ahead and refuse to stop calling his name. Because if he called your name and he never gave up on you, you ought to at least continue to say, I will keep calling your name until you hear me, until you answer me, until you meet me here. And if that means I have to be rude about it, I won't give up. I will keep coming after you. After receiving another no in the search for the pastoral dream, I had grown so discouraged that I hung up the phone with my head hung low. Tanya knew the answer without asking the question. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. It's not like I'm an immediate rejection. I'm not like an immediate no at least that would be telling me something if I just got an immediate no. 
but these churches seem to like me. These places like me. They keep, uh, they keep moving me further and further along. I keep getting into the top two with all of these places. I keep praying and asking for these things, and I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. I keep getting a no, and I'm tired of standing. And so my wife looked me in the eye and said, well, maybe just stop searching for the pastor positions. Maybe let's push pause on that. And maybe now is the time to write that book that you keep putting off, that you, wouldn't, that you always have an excuse for never starting. Maybe this is that moment. Maybe that's the time for it. And it was at that moment that I began the process of writing my first book and the path that led me to living out a dream I didn't have at the moment and now getting to do something that I still love and it's not even a pastoral position. Dr. Martin Luther King tells a story of flying from New York to London. Uh, On his return flight, he recognized that the flight time was nearly doubled. And the distance was the same, but the flight time was doubled. Why the additional hours, he wondered. And the pilot explained to him the way winds work. When you leave New York, the tailwind is in your favor, pushing you along. But when you return, the headwind is against you. The pilot assured Dr. King that the engines were fully capable of handling the winds as you come against them. And then Dr. King reflected on that, and he said, At times in our lives, the tailwinds of joy, triumph, and fulfillment favor us. And at times, the headwinds of disappointment and sorrow and tragedy beat unrelentingly against us. Shall we permit adverse winds to overwhelm us as we journey across life's mighty Atlantic? Or will our inner spiritual engine sustain us in spite of the winds? I think the most faithful way to deal with crushed dreams is to be determined to keep coming after God with all that you've got. Perhaps it's to face the disappointment head on, but be devoted to looking forward and never stop calling your name. I will never stop calling his name. I will remain desperate for an entanglement with Jesus that will keep me, that will hold me, and that will propel me into the future that is prepared for me, even if it wasn't the dream that I expected. There are times that we wrestle with God for a very long time. And like Jacob and Uh, Genesis 32, we can wrestle with God and we can be prepared to wrestle with God until you bless me. I love that that confidence that honestly, it, it, it strikes me a little rude, right? It's a little rude that Jacob would look God in the face and say, you know what? I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. I'll be like, you don't talk to me like that. But that's how he did it because he was desperate enough. Desperate people are stubborn people. I will hold on to you until you bless me. And there are times when wrestling is necessary. Then there are times when we are tired of wrestling. I'm tired of standing up. I'm tired of wrestling. I just had a student this week 
uh, asked me, what about when I am tired of doing all of that? What am I supposed to do? Like, uh, you talked to me last year about, she said, she, you talked to me last year about, like, you've got to stay focused and you've got to keep praying. You've got to keep calling out in God's name. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I get that, and that made sense, and I needed that at that moment when you said that. But what happens now? Because <laughs> I keep wrestling. What am I supposed to do when I'm tired of wrestling? I believe there is a time for wrestling with God until he blesses you. But I think there are also moments when you get tired of it. I'm tired of wrestling. I'm tired of wrestling with God, and that moment is when you stop all of your activity because you're tired of standing. You're tired of wrestling with God for something that still isn't working. I think there are also moments when you stop all of the activity, and that is your moment of desperation. But I'm also convinced that God can do a whole lot with that moment. I'm very convinced that God can do a whole lot with your moment of desperation. When I've tried to wrestle with you, I've called your name, I've prayed, and I've asked for this dream that I thought you promised me. And I thought you called me to this. And I've wrestled with you, but I'm tired of wrestling. I'm tired of it. And you've reached the end of your moment, and that's a desperate moment. But I have watched God do things with desperation that are incredible. And so my challenge that I leave with you is if you're not in the wrestling and you're not even in the desperation, have an answer to that question, that vital question of like, well, what would I do if the bottom fell out? What, what would I do? Would I, will I keep pursuing Jesus? Will I devote myself to saying, even if the bottom falls out, I will keep coming after you without, without wavering, and I will keep calling your name? And I will wrestle with you. If, you, if you. if the bottom drops out on me, I will wrestle with you until you bless me. Perhaps you're in the wrestling right now. And you're waiting, and you will keep going. And my challenge is, will you have that dedication to say, God, I am not letting go of you. If I have to be rude about this, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Maybe that's where you are and you need to get a little more stubborn. A little more stubborn to say, I'll fight with you and I will wrestle with you. Because the thing about wrestling with God is that you're not wrestling against him. You're wrestling with him. He's still present. He's still there with you. There is presence in the wrestling. You are not by yourself in the wrestling. So how much will I hold on? Am I willing to hold on until he blesses me? And then there's maybe some of you who are like, I've been wrestling. And I've been intentional about my wrestling. I have never let go. I've not, I'm not, and I don't intend to let go. But I'm tired. I'm tired of wrestling. And if that's where you are, you are possibly in a moment of desperation. And your prayer now has to become... Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And if anybody tries to shut that off or shut that down and give you a good good churchy answer, you refuse that and say, 
all the more. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. I need you right now. Because that strikes the heart and that strikes the ear of Jesus. That desperation strikes the heart of Jesus. And he will call you to himself if that becomes your prayer. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we will close together in worship songs. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for, uh, for the fact that you hear us is, uh, is grace. It, we don't deserve for you to hear our voice. We don't deserve for you to hear the cries of our heart even when I don't have words for them. But your word has told us over and over again, you hear even the groans of our heart. When I don't even have the words to say, you hear me and you know me. That's grace. But God, I, I thank you also that even when I am a little rude about it, even when I'm so desperate that I, like I can't help but go crying after you, that you still hear me, uh, that's amazing grace. And God, I pray that you hear us. I pray that you hear my friends, even in this room right now, who have any number of prayers that are screaming out in silence right now from the depths of who we are. We need you to hear us. I, I, I need you to hear me. I'm not letting go of you, and I'm going to keep calling your name because that's that's not even a factor I will always call your name but some of us really need you to hear us right now and we ask that you hear our crying hearts but also God I pray that as we cry out and we meet you in that space that when you speak to us we hear you there's a pursuit happening here on both of our parts we keep coming after one another because we both desire one another. And I trust that that's true, that you desire me and my desire is for you. So I know that you're going to meet me here. But in these places of desperation or in these places of wrestling, God, I pray that you would give us even just a taste of you in the water. Because if I can get a taste, I won't give up. Like even just a glimpse. I pray that for my friends. I pray that for my family in this room. Just give us a glimpse of you because that, that is enough that I will come after you even more. Let us see you today. Let us hear you today. And we will keep coming after you with everything we've got. We praise you for who you are. And we know that closeness to you is our greatest good. Draw close to us today. If we come here and leave here, no closer to you then like why do we come just let us be close to you closer than we were before we got here at least that because <laughs> if I can at least get that I'll keep going so let us see you let us hear you we pray this in Jesus name